Shop and Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design, development, all that good stuff. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, who we got on the show today? Wow, we got two absolute luminaries of the web, heroes of mine. And fortunately, we've met and talked many times. Both have been on the show before. So, uh, friends of the show, we can call them. We have Mr. Jeffrey Zeldman. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing swell. How are you, Chris, Dave? Fantastic. I know. So, we. <laughs> Sometimes we just got to say that, don't we? And <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and Eric Meyer as well. How are you doing, Eric? Not too bad. Sweating through hot dome summer. Mm. How about the rest of y'all? Pretty good. I was going to say that, and then you you two with your powers combined, plus another staff, also create uh, uh, an event apart too. So that's uh, that's been that's been. Going well, it sounds. I mean, you'd, you'd have to tell me, but from the outside, it looks like going well. And I'm excited to be uh, um, at the Denver one coming up. So that's that's in October. Check out aneventapart.com for that. Um, Thanks, cool. Chris. Not for it that, sounded like an for ad, that timely, but it really wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> where, where do we send the check? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were. It is really good. They give it to you right when you get off stage. I don't know if y'all do that. It was really it's like a little classy touch. Oh yeah, yeah. Made. We we when when Eric and I started an event apart in December of two thousand five, it was after we'd both been on the web design speaking circuit for like ten years, and we we really liked speaking and we liked a lot of the people that we saw speaking, but we thought we would do and we there were some conferences we really liked, but we also thought how would we do it? Like we make sure everybody gets paid right there. We'd pay everybody the same up front right away. We, you know, not, not make them ask and beg and all that. And we'd, you know, single track, right? Because at the time the norm was you'd, you'd get split into all these different, every, you know, designer versus developer versus project manager, all in separate rooms. And then at lunch, they'd like, I don't know. What did you see? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so all these years later, no, no, no one technique has won, right? There's still plenty of multi-track conferences, right? It's, Very it's true, funny. and they they're functional. They serve a purpose. We just wanted to do one where we would miss, we wouldn't miss anything, basically. Yeah, and I I got to say, the conferences that I see in the web space do not have as many tracks as they used to. <laughs> Um, right. Even the multi-track ones. Cause when Jeffrey talks about how you, there were tracks against tracks, these were like eight or nine track conferences, right? There would be, and I'm not talking South by, I'm leaving that aside. Cause that's, that's crazy town, but you know, like uh, there would be a web design conference and it, there would be literally eight concurrent tracks. Um, which, you know, if you were a keynote speaker, which was across all the tracks, that was like, that was a big deal, right? Because everyone came together. But yeah, even even the multi-track conferences that we see now, two, three, four tracks usually. Um, There's some, even some like one and a half tracks. I don't know if you <laughs> see. How that. does that it's work? Like, yeah, what's like, that mean? It's like half track for half the day or something. You know, it's kind of mm. oh yeah yeah yeah. Or like yeah, two everybody get together the for the keynote and then split up for two sessions, then come back to the big room. Yeah, I've seen right. even okay. virtual does that. That that seems insulting too. Like not not to the keynote speaker, but to everybody else. It's like mm. yeah, yeah, yeah you're half as good as that other person. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. Or this isn't you know. Your stuff isn't, this isn't as important, to, right? Yeah, this thing you're talking us, about, like, it's, we don't think everyone would be interested. It's, but but to us, it's it's a holistic thing, I guess. Well, for me, because I started so early, like you had to be a designer, a developer, a writer, everything, and Coder. I still that's still my yeah. favorite way. Yeah, yeah, you have to. That's like a maybe jumping off point. Uh, do you still have to be that? What do you think? Do you, oh, do you clearly not. No. You don't have to be anymore. There's still a role for people who are like that, who like to yep. span. And at, and actually, I think increasingly important roles for people who like to span silos, right? Because at a certain point, if you have enough silos or your silos are entrenched enough, you need people who can look into both and understand both, like, you know, basically be an architect. And that's, like, I know at least one person who's now 
like a vice president at a major corporation and comes from that, that place. And, um, you know, that's, I think that's part of the reason that they, that they are now in that position, um, is that they can talk to the designers and to the coders and figure out, you know, how to align them and when there are misunderstandings and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's absolutely a role for people who are generalist, more generalists, but no, you don't, Jeffrey's right. You don't have to be, um, there are plenty of people. Maybe who, it's easier to get your foot in the door too if you're not. Because yeah, I don't know. Yes. I'm even guilty of that when I'm hiring. I'm like, I really need you to know this one specific thing. So I'm kind of hiring for that. But then once you're in, I'm like, you can illustrate. That's crazy. You should. We should. We need should use that. I, you, you also need to keep. Uh, I remember learning this when I was in advertising. I, I worked with a partner, Jerry Vaglio, brilliant art director, really multi talented, and he could draw. He could draw. And we were junior. This was like a long time ago, like like 30 years ago. And we were presenting uh, storyboards for a commercial we wanted to do. And the senior art director like closed the door and said, who drew this? And Jerry said, oh, I did. Thank you. And he said, don't let anyone know you can draw like this. <laughs> These hacks will have you doing their storyboards and your work will never get produced. And that is a powerful lesson. Sometimes... I've been in work, you know, for the web, I've been in situations where I could, like, I have the skill to make 60 versions of this in, in, you know, in, in an, um, what do you call it, in a, a design program, but I'd be taking away somebody else's work and that's a bad use of my time. So mm. I think generalists uh, are good connectors, like Eric was saying. Um, I'm in a company now, Automatic. We make WordPress and Tumblr and a bunch of stuff. But um, it's it's a very open source ethos there. And the people who've been there a long time are generalists who code and design and do all this stuff. And mm. all the newer people, which is like two-thirds of the company because it's growing really fast, they're more specialists. And you can see the difference. And it's all cool. There's, there's, there's important reasons for both kinds of workers. But it is interesting to see that shift, like, when I got there, we were supposed to do, like, I got there as a designer and was supposed to do really technical stuff. And I was like, I, I don't do that. I have people for that. And like, no, you don't. <laughs> right? Now you got to do it. And yeah. I don't know if that, I don't know if that will always be true because of the nature of the marketplace changing, the workforce changing, and the complexity of web development now. I don't. You know, I, I don't do it anymore because I can still write HTML and CSS, but that ain't that ain't what it looks like anymore to me. Hmm. It looks very complicated to me. What it, what do y'all think? Well, that is is it more complicated or less complicated? I'm I'm kind of hoping to speak at event apart and talk about how it, some things have actually gotten easier, um, or at least cool. make us a, a case for it a little bit. Um, cause I think it's, it's partially true, but I mean, I take the point. There's so few greenfield projects that are like, can you just scaffold this HTML and write some CSS behind it? The chances of that, that landing in your lap is pretty low. Even if the work is kind of ultimately like that, it'll be like, yeah, but do it within the context of this WordPress site or do it within the context of this next site or next you know some kind of complicated build tool yada yada like and you know some people are just like yeah fine a new designer is just working in figma all day long whereas in the past they were doing ux and writing their own html and css and the person writing the html and css may also be like a javascript developer and adept at five other things i don't even know about i suppose that's just the web can do more stuff than when we start. Than when I started. <laughs> no kidding. We say as we speak into a web browser window with four human beings on it with perfect real-time vid audio video while it's capturing your local audio into local storage, yada, yada, you know, zooming its way to the cloud in a reliable fashion. Hard to do that with 12 tags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. In micro formats. Micro formats. <laughs> micro formats. Let's talk. I, let's Let's microformat love we have one of the inventors <laughs> one of the co-inventors of that whole genre eric it, it's true do you feel like eric you've like 
powered the world of search engines <laughs> brought about their dominance. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. I hope not. Um, <laughs> because, and that, that answer comes from a very specific place. Uh, I mean, part of what we were doing was we were trying to establish schema for the web, basically, without having to write XML schema, which are incredibly uh, obscure. I'll, I'll use that word. Um, and yeah, now we have schema.org and all this kind of stuff. And but where where that 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 reaction came from really is that well, I mean one of the things that one of the things we talk about at Agalia where 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 I work and a thing that I've, I've been thinking about for a while is if you think about it, pretty much like damn near a hundred percent of all browser development is dependent on ad revenue. That is the model that has evolved. And I don't, I don't even want to say that's the model we've built because it's not like we set out to do it on purpose, but that's the deal, right? Because um, Mozilla, for example, and Firefox and, and Gecko and all that, all that stuff, their money comes from a, a, a default search engine deal with Google, right? That's where, that's where those millions of dollars that pay for everybody who works on or worked on, um, Firefox came from, and um, you know, Chrome obviously, <laughs> uh, or maybe not obviously, but Chrome being developed by Google, their their ad revenue is their revenue pretty much, um, and even Apple, you know, is search engine revenue. I, of course, Apple has plenty of other cash, but um, that they they can uh, they can you mean draw scope the Safari they, team itself if they wish to, but. Yeah, I think I think traditionally, I'm not sure that's as true now. You all should get Jen Simmons on if you can. And I mean, do you think she Apple would tell them. us what what kind of check Apple gets from Google? For- I mean, no, I don't think you'd get numbers, but uh, and I don't know if Apple would let her be on a podcast because Apple's gets really touchy about that kind of thing. But we've been trying. Don't worry, it's okay. tricky though. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, if you've noticed, uh, the WebKit team has gotten much bigger very quickly since Jen got there. I don't know if she was part of that hiring or if she's driving that hiring. I, I don't know from the outside. But the WebKit team is getting bigger quickly. And they're shipping a lot of stuff ahead of other browsers. You know, people were doing Safari as the new IE for years. Um, they're shipping stuff ahead of everyone else now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they must have got – we did a like a na-na-na-na-boo-boo on Safari and they got pissed. <laughs> well, whatever, whatever it is, that's happening, right? And I, it makes me wonder if they've managed to get resources from elsewhere. But when you look at it overall, the entire, like the entire browser ecosystem is completely dependent on search ad revenue, and that's not that's not a great model. In my opinion, it's too bad that it's so gross that people are like, "Oh, ads! Oh, they're tracking me everywhere I go. I'm sure this microphone is listening. I can provably watch a fetch request sending my IP out to it. You know, there's all kinds of bad stuff, but it's almost too bad because at its core, advertising to me feels so positive, so yin yang. So like, there's this company that makes widgets and they spend all their time and energy making the widget. They have no time to figure out how to build an audience. And then there's all these other companies that are like, we give everything away. All we know how to do is audience. We have no widgets. We only have audience. And those two symbiotically live together. One pays the other to reach the other person. Like, I, I like the concept of advertising. It's just it's, it's too bad it you know, ended up so crappily on the web. You know? And that, like I say, like if, search, if ad revenue suddenly went away tomorrow, I don't know, the EU bans it or something. And that becomes a global thing. I don't know where the money for browser development comes from. Right. Tracking and all that cruds mixed into it too. Cause it's like, I don't mind seeing an ad. I, I mind it <laughs> like two weeks later when it's like, Hey man, you didn't buy that mattress yet. Do you right. want to buy that mattress? You should <laughs> buy that mattress. You know, it's like, I kind of just want to read this news article. Right. <laughs> it's like, or, Hey, I see you bought a mattress. You clearly, you want to buy another one. <laughs> want to buy another mattress? Yeah. People buy two mattresses all the time. You know, that's, that's pretty normal. <laughs> Don't get right. left out.
This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Memberful. That's memberful.com. Link in the show notes, of course. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by some of the biggest creators on the web. I love that it's totally dedicated to this proven great business model, which is have a business that has members that pay you to be members for and then give them something of value. You know, it could be a podcast like this one. You could make a paid podcast. Why not? Uh, You could be a paid newsletter. It could be educational content. It could be, you know, you're a comic book creator. Anything you can think of where you can provide value for members, Memberful is there to do it for you. It handles all the hard stuff, like taking money and doing the recurring revenue and all that stuff, allowing you to focus on what you do best, which is definitely the right way to run a business. So if you're looking to add membership to your business that you have already, this is the perfect technology for that. You can launch a new revenue stream. You already have the business. Add a new revenue stream. Get your brain thinking in that way. So great. It integrates with the tools you might be already use. You know, I'm kind of a WordPress guy. A lot of times Memberful works with that. Works with Discord. Works with MailChimp. So great. It is a, you know, it's like a, a literal technology here. I mean, if you're a, a, a big time developer like me, come on, they have a full featured GraphQL API. They have webhooks. They have OAuth, all that fancy stuff. And then you are off, offering that to your users so they can log in and get access to the stuff they know they need to get access for. There is this and so much more. I mean, it's really modern tech, you know? You want to make sure it's really easy to sign up because so, so you offer, like, Apple Pay? They got that. You know, it's just very modern, very cool. Get started for free. You don't even need a credit card. Head on over to memberful.com. Thanks so much for the support. So cool. So you all have been around shaping the web for a long time, lots of books about web development, all that stuff, and then have ended up at different roles, but to, from my eye, are still looking to affect, you know, the web in, in a positive way. Jeffrey, you ended up at Automatic, as you said, pretty different role for you. You know, you're kind of a solo entrepreneur for a long time, ran studios, you know, mm-hmm. but, but, but all that time where... You know, we're advocating for standards and all that stuff. So, so I don't know what's the what's the trajectory now that you can kind of look back on those thirty plus years of web development stuff, and then why automatic? Well, I'll tell you an answer you don't want to hear. Uh, after thirty years, I'm kind of like I've done web design and development. Others will carry on this this work. I'm not ready to retire. You know, I'm not dead, and I'm passionate about the uses the web gets put to and about people having a chance to own their own content and publish their content. You know, and basically, I'm, I'm still passionate about the web as a, demo, a democratizing force, which was, you know, the first time I made a website, the first time I saw a website. It was an ugly little website that someone made. <laughs> first time I saw a poetry ring, right, <laughs> uh, which for... for for kids, kids, that was like, uh, instead of a social, I, I, if you had a yeah. poetry website where you published your cruddy poems and someone else had a cruddy poem website and someone else had a, you know, that, that you'd all band together to like link to each other yeah. in a sidebar, this new invention called a sidebar with links, which mm. I think ended up getting called a link roll or a blog roll because uh, anyway, yeah. um, and what I, I still think that was a way of feeling connected with other people, or, right? Yeah. Yeah. Finding stuff find, before search engines, before search engines dominated. Yeah, um, this is this is pre Google. Like Google didn't right. exist. Google didn't exist, um, not even as a gleam in the eye. But uh, I, uh, you know, so I love automatic because the products are about that. You know, like mm. anyone can sell anything wherever they are. Anyone can published anything obviously there's caveats with any of that stuff because you know when i first saw the web i was like oh any wonderful person who wants to share their passionate joy can now freely and it also means like some of the worst people in the world by my point from my point of view can publish like hatred so that's that's an issue we didn't expect in the beginning but um but for me uh i I'm now more in a people area. Like I'm, I'm not in HR, but I'm in something called talent, 
where it's about shaping, uh, helping to shape the experience of people who work at the company, build morale, um, and let people know about the company. Because I remember approaching Matt Mullenweg a couple, three years ago now and just said, hey, you have a terrific company, but nobody knows about it. And even though he, he hired me, uh, initially to do web stuff, but uh, but now I'm doing that stuff, like letting people know about automatic because it's uh, because for certain kinds of people who are idealistic and li- also like to work from home or need to work from home, right? Mobility could mm-hmm. be an issue. Like it's a great place, uh, and and yeah. remote where everybody's doing remote now, but automatic's been doing it forever, and it's like on this really high level of we know how to make that stuff work. So I'm, I'm very happy being there. Um, I'm also happy having a paycheck. What did you mean nobody knows about it? Uh, only because people know WordPress, but is that what you mean? But not necessarily automatic, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, right, right. People know WordPress, they know Tumblr. Um, but, but, you know, it's not like WordPress, an automatic joint. I mean... We don't, like, I think one reason I've had a career is because I was shameless about branding stuff. When I was first making websites all by myself, I would be like, you know, I would have my name at the in the footer of the website, right? I mean, it started mm-hmm. with that contact the webmaster, and that quickly became like, you know, before I had a studio, it was like me. And that's embarrassing. A lot of people wouldn't do it, but here I still am. So that's cool. Um, I, I, I think we have shame about branding, but it's too bad. It's sort of what, mm-hmm. what y'all were saying before about like advertising doesn't have to be horrible. In a way, it's this, I make this great stuff, but nobody knows how to find it. Nobody knows I make it. So I need to, I need to let people know. But in theory, advertising is not evil. In theory, it's just like saying, hi, I have a restaurant, come eat, you know, it's really yeah. just, just a little that. sidebar here. I'm curious what you think about, I guess, and anonymity. And it seems like uh, not to like necessarily drag this down this weird direction, but it seems like in this new world of web three garbage, whatever that is, I'm sure you can tell how I feel about it with based on that moniker. Anonymity is like almost like required. Like it's really weird to use your own name. Like, but it, but that's not necessarily a new concept. People have been using screen names forever. You know, right. chances yeah. are your AOL screen name wasn't Jeffrey Zeldman, you know, so we kind of right. knew to use screen names. <clears throat> But, like, I feel that same way, too. I am Chris Coyer everywhere, and it has done a good job for me. Like, how is that How is that not obvious, though? Like, how, how come people don't see that and be like, wow, if you use your name, that you get to, like, build on the brand of yourself for a long time? It just seems very obvious to me. It's, I was just going to say, it's a lot easier for us white guys to uh, do that. I mean. Well, that's a blind spot because for Because of the white, white, we have white names. Well, because we don't have to face the kind of la- backlash that women will face, that people of color will face. Sure. You know, that kind of stuff. If if you're making it, you know, if you're associating yourself with your brand all the time, like, I don't really get hate mail. Yeah, once or twice over the years, right? No, <laughs> As opposed to, right. you know, daily or women on Twitter who are get- like... Once or twice in the last five minutes, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't get inventoried on my appearance by everyone who feels that they have an opinion. I'm sure there's people who look at me and, and like what they see, and there's people who don't. But they don't. Uh, but they don't. It doesn't even. It's not even a consideration because I'm a guy. It's not a referendum, right? on and you. I'm a white guy. Yep, yep. That's yeah. very true. But I did want to make this other point though. My favorite filmmaker at the time that I discovered the web was Alfred Hitchcock. And I was very aware how he had marketed his his like everything about him, his profile, his you know his droll sense of humor, and he did like grossly commercial stuff, like had Alfred Hitchcock magazine with you know, but but the result was that he got to make the films he wanted to make, and I thought that's cool. And then the other one, um, I don't know if you all remember this band, uh, Weather Report from the seventies. They were like a heck yeah, Jocko. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, their keyboard player was named 
Joseph Zawino or, or Yosef Zawino. I don't know. He, it was a South African name. But, um, but he just started calling himself Zawino, like, like Cher, before Madonna, right? before Prince. He was just calling himself mm-hmm. Zawino. I thought, that's cool. And I'm lucky that I have the name Zeldman because that's a weird name. Not many people have it. Um, if I'd been Jones, nothing wrong with that name, fine name, but it would have been hard to go a Jones production or, <laughs> but I was able to yeah. just turn my last name into a brand, which, so if you have a moniker yeah, that's it unusual, work. it might work. It might work. So Eric, you've also been around a long time, wrote a bunch of books, were the CSS guy, the original OG CSS guy in a way. And then and then I f- now I've found your way through zigs and zags to to at Egalia, which is like super involved lately. It really has become a name that is, I think the company's probably been around a while, but it's become a bit of a household name lately, at least in, in the web dev circles, for the amount of work that it gets done in browsers and then... Maybe the, maybe its brand is getting better. <laughs> maybe that's what's happening. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, Agalia's been around 20 years. 21, I think, at this point. Um, I think last year was the 20th anniversary. But yeah, the browser work is, in this field anyway, what's gotten them noticed. You know, doing CSS Grid, basically. Like, shipping it in browsers. Um, and uh, other stuff. Focus Visible and WebKit. Uh, has the has pseudo class in Chromium is pretty much a Galia. Um, that hasn't happened quite yet, but it's we announced in, we announced intent to ship. So that's basically all the everything's in place for it to be turned on by default in a future release of Chromium. Yeah, um, you can use it now if you have the experimental web features flag turned on, which. I'm sure all of us in this call do. Um, <laughs> uh, you can use has in Chromium uh, as long as you've got that that flag on. You can also use it in Safari without any flags because they actually uh, managed to ship it first. But um, yeah, I've been I've been playing with that. But yeah, I, I, I mean, Egalia does a lot of work. Unbelievable! It's possible. Can you imagine? I just think that alone would have just changed web development. If we just had it all along, if it just shipped in like CSS one, it would just be a different. It would be a different web. Yeah, like how many times, Eric, have you written the phrase like you can't select a parent or whatever, yeah. and it's like surprise, you kind of can. <laughs> Now, now, 25 years later, right. I, well, and the, the barrier was always performance, but given the speed at which browser engines can now operate and also having done some fairly clever optimization of the tree walking, it is possible now to have performance not just parent selection, but ancestor selection and, and beyond that. I've actually been, I, I did a, a short video of like the basics of has, sort of like a little, down, like a promo video for Agalia that's up on YouTube. But I'm currently working on, a, as we're recording this, I'm working on a longer one that gets into some of the like more erudite and, and, uh, and convoluted stuff you can do with has in conjunction with other things. Right, so it's not just, hey, I'm, I, like you could literally say, if this body, if the body element or the HTML element has something like this class or this ID, then change the styling of the entire document, like change the background color because it's the about, it's part of the about page, right? And it doesn't matter how far down that that class or that ID is; it can be seventeen levels deeper in the markup. Um, and that was oh that sort of thing the, the the wanting the ability to have to look down the tree and then look back up the tree was always the blocker, but in 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 a very grossly simplified way the way that has processing is done is from the bottom of the tree up um, instead of starting from the top down and then having to loop back it literally starts from the bottom up and like flags elements as as being selection candidate, so it drastically reduces the number of elements that have to be looked through from there on. Now, that's not to say that you can't bring a browser to its knees with has. I'm sure that there are ways to do it. Um, But 
Anna Tudor's working on that right now. Yeah, I'm just, well, <laughs> working on. She's probably got. She's she's probably putting the finishing touches on a CSS tricks article of six ways to do it. But yeah, um, but yeah, the uh, that that sort of thing is what's making has possible. Eric, yeah. Eric, I have a question for you. Um, it's probably fair to say that media queries needed to exist before Ethan could think of responsive web design, right? Like, like it, was, yeah. it was sort of something that people had been talking about in different ways for a long time, but media queries made it possible. And that was a huge industry-changing thing. So the thing you're talking about with has, mm -hmm. what new big design idea is someone going to come up with as a result of that? Is it an interactive thing or? A I've been seeing that video game type stuff that kind of like logical operators are and being able to move controls around in CSS. Maybe not it alone, but go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the things has immediately makes possible is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a pun: classless design, not not completely class free. But you can drop so many classes, and you can drop a, a fair number of interactive JavaScript widgets. So an example here is in a different project I've been working on, I, because has isn't widely supported and, uh, and hasn't been widely supported for a few years, I'm using JavaScript to do things like, if this checkbox is checked, right, then add these classes in other places, because I need to know over here, and I'm using JavaScript to do this, I need to know over here that that's been checked over there. With has, I wouldn't have to do that at all. I could literally, at the body level, say, you know, if this body has this element ID checked, then apply these styles to, this, to these other things. So, um, so, like, animation might happen as a consequence of someone hitting a checkbox, as in an example, like... Like could yeah. anywhere in the dock. anywhere on the page, right? And and for me, I even had to do it in this situation to like make the little slider on the toggle work because of the way that the 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 form and the label and everything was structured. It just made more sense to do it with JavaScript, um, and it's very light JavaScript. I wrote it myself, and didn't didn't take long. As it's not like you know this huge library, but um, with has I could have just done it with that and not had to go to JavaScript, which. I think is one of the keys of media queries leading to responsive web design is that it made that responsiveness accessible. You could do everything in responsive web design with JavaScript, but you had to understand like at a fairly deep level, browser windows and JavaScript and events and blah, 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 blah. Media queries abstracted that away, like made that very accessible as a, as a CSS author, you could just do your media queries. What um, an interesting thought that you could do everything that media queries could do in JavaScript. It's just nobody did. Right. Or, or almost, I, 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 should, I shouldn't say everything uh, because it was much more difficult to do the actual media dependent things, right? Like the, at this breakpoint in print, I want to do X. You could do the at this breakpoint, but the in print was really hard or perhaps impossible mm. at the time. I don't remember anymore to do in JavaScript. But the like the visual responsiveness was possible. But I wonder if it's because there's a lot at the time, there's certainly like a lot more human beings that, mm. that knew C and wanted to work in CSS. And I wonder if that right. now the proliferation of JavaScript people, if that's like less true. Yeah, I, perhaps. But I I think I think things like has and container queries, which are also starting to land in browsers, um, are are going to make all of that a lot more accessible rather than having to understand a JavaScript framework or write your own JavaScript to make those sorts of things possible. You just be like, oh, okay. Accessible to makers, not to the end user. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And then my other, so that raises the question, which is more performant? Will, is, does has, Put less of a load on the computer. Is it? Will it enable the the website to be faster, or someone with a you know with a less powerful phone still get the thing? Or you don't know that that's not super clear. I don't think, at least initially, 
that it has will be significantly less performant than equivalent JavaScript. Um, but, you know, one of the things with JavaScript is to make it really performant, you have to really know JavaScript. Like the JavaScript that I was doing on the, on the, that I was just talking about a minute ago, probably not the most performant, but it has to do like three things. And so it can, computers and browsers are fast enough now, and JavaScript engines are fast enough now that I could bury my ineptitude under processor <laughs> cycles, basically. Um, I don't have, I can, like, I cannot worry about it um, because I'm not like looping through the document multiple times. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some stuff uh, and Antti Koisovo uh, from Apple posted a video where it was like this table of like, I don't know, hundreds of cells or maybe it's just an array of divs. I, I don't, I don't, I have to go look at it again. But anyway, and if you hover over any one of them, like uh, these tiny invisible divs, it would like create this pattern responsively to where the the pointer is. And I don't even know if JavaScript would be that fast. I mean, probably, but Canvas? They, they just did like it with, a, with a bunch of has selectors. Um, I just tried what? it in Chromium, actually, and it was slower. So clearly there's optimization. There's plenty of optimization room. And that's the interesting part is that I think over time the CSS will probably become more performant because JavaScript engines have had now, God, 15 years of like massive performance investment. And so CSS engines, but has, hasn't had that yet. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. But yeah, the, I mean, any time that you've been in a situation where you're like, ah, crap, I have to class something, I have to class the parent or something two or three levels up because, because of this thing here. Like I, I have a little sale banner, so I need to class the div for the item to be sale so that I can style it differently. That goes away. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just like have your little sale thing, and then have a rule somewhere that says if this div, if the div of a class of shopping item has a thing with a class of sale inside of it, boom, style it, done. I didn't have to change my markup at so all. So it's technically it's probably more work for the computer, but it means that it's replacing some other piece of definitely slower technology. Like if it replaces any JavaScript at all, it's almost definitely faster. Right? I, I, I can't say that for sure, but it's not going to yeah. be significantly slower. It seems, it seems to me like it maybe even replaces like CMS hacks, templating hacks you had to do. Like, oh, if it has a product, like pfft, chuck a class way up there that says like products one or like product, you know, like, cause you're like, oh, if it only has one product, do this. If it has five products, do this. feels like yep. you unlock context, like contextual mm -hmm. web design. That's a book. I'm going to sell it on a book. Apart. That is, <laughs> that is, that's the next big thing, my friend. You just contextual said it. Contextual design. There you go. Contextual but I, design. But I think it's just like, it unlocks this whole, like, um, just, I don't, just the ability that we didn't have it, you know, yeah. and you had to do tricks and you had mm -hmm. to do counts and, stuff but now you can just be like if it has li nth of type three mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah give me i don't know do or something i don't maybe that's a bad example but like uh, no actually i think it's actually a good example because if you think about it like a, a, a data table or a list you might want to style it differently if it's like super long right or if it's super short right it's like well we have these lists but every now and again we have one that's like three items or two items Right. Mm -hmm. And so let's make that a little bigger or let's let's space it out a little bit so it doesn't get like give it a little more margin so it doesn't get lost in the copy around it. You just do UL uh, has um, not li nth of nth of type three. Right. For a two. Mm -hmm. And that'll get you any one or two list item. And if you want to take that up to five, then it'll get you any one, two, three or four list item or uh, item list. And then you add a little bit more margins to that, uh, to some block margins to that UL or that OL or the, the table, whatever it is, right? Um, yeah. And then everything that has more than that, everything that's longer, doesn't get that extra block because it doesn't need it. Like, yeah, absolutely yeah. that kind of stuff is possible. CSS hasn't attained singularity yet. But um, this is my fantasy. In the first, 
in the first edition of Designing with Web Standards, but I never explained it very well. I still, mm. I don't think anyone understood what I was, but it was like when I said rules-based design, the idea was that, oh, this is what it looks like if it's a business card, but if, or if there's like, if it's a shorter name or if it's a long Spanish phrase, then mm. the design reconfigures itself, which in a way, CSS Grid in some ways lets you do that. And, and being able to size things one of my favorite tricks recently is max width, max content, which basically means don't let the box get any wider than the longest bit of content. But since it's a max width, it's not forced to be max content. So if you come out to 100% the size of the uh, container, then it starts wrapping the content. So short content, like the box is just around that content, but long content, it wraps to multiple lines and you get a box that surrounds it. You, you don't like even. Table I mean, you can do that do. right now. <laughs> so, you yeah, know. that is what table used to do. Kinda, yeah. Except you can do it to anything. Um, do it to your H two so that you like put a border across the bottom of your H twos or H one or whatever. Right It'll just stop yeah. at the end if you have like a two word H one. But if you have this super long each one that goes to multiple lines, then it'll just be across the entire width of the element box. And like widow control, is that um, that's we still use no. JavaScript to do that, correct? Last time yeah, I checked, yeah. Widow, widows and orphans uh, are not are not really supported. CSS had property, I guess, still does, but they're not really well supported. And they were only ever about lines of text; they weren't about individual words. So yeah, doing the thing like having JavaScript that runs through your content and replaces the last space in every paragraph with a non-breaking space so that it'll always keep at least two words. Like, you still need JavaScript for that. But, I mean, with everything else CSS is doing now, it's like container queries, cascade layers, grid, has, all this stuff is dropping. Maybe it's time to go back and say, hey, could we have a line orphans or whatever, you know, orphan words or some right. property that'll let us do that where it'll it'll basically say, you know, keep the last, few strings of text together at all times. Maybe. I don't know. Why not? It's, it's really a curse to care about that. Like the first yes. minute yeah. you learn yeah. that, you're yeah. like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life putting NBSP at the end of two words. Yeah. It's it's like teaching someone to recognize bad kerning and you've cursed them yeah. for the rest of their life as they go about it's their, over. as they go around the world and they like see a sign that somebody tacked up on a door that they printed out. You're just like, ugh. No. R slash Keming. Don't subscribe. <laughs> so I was lazy. Like one of the reasons I think that I got involved in web standards early is because I was lazy. And it's like, I don't want to learn five ways to do this. It's too hard. Like to me, web standards is working when it makes it simpler. Right. And then we can focus on the content instead. I like that. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Notion. Learn more and get started at Notion.so. It's this wonderful app that I couldn't possibly recommend more to use uh, for essentially writing documents, but it's so much more than that. It can be a place for your Kanban boards, for project planning and meeting notes and calendars and, and notes of any kind. You know, you know, a little side thing I see people doing a lot is like writing out a quick document, which will look beautiful because Notion looks great, making it public and then using it as like a job posting website, like a quick way to get a URL to share with the world that says, hey, we're hiring, that kind of thing. Their sharing model is so great. At any given page, and it can be nested as deep as whatever, you can kind of just mark as public, little toggle switch, and then share that with anybody who wants to see it on the internet. Uh, and But what's cool about that is it doesn't have to be totally public. Another way you could do it is like type in an email address and invite somebody to the document, either just to see it or to have right access to it and collaborate with you on it. So it's a great collaboration tool in that way. For example, we have like a show calendar for this show and we invite collaborators, even from outside the Shop Talk Show organization, to collaborate on the calendar, like our editor and our sponsors and stuff, so we can all have this shared understanding of what's happening with the show. Notion really enables workflows like that. It's so cool. Thanks for the sponsorship. Notion, that's notion.so. The 
there's, you know, we've mentioned the word performance a couple of times, and I think this is almost a merciful thing of CSS that there's already so much and ever increasing amount of performance stuff to talk about. In fact, I almost have a, I have a correction we should make last week, but I think I'll save it for an episode about some new Google metric that they emailed us about and like, yeah, got it wrong. Kind of sorry. Thanks, well, Jeremy. Whoops. We did get it wrong. Um, <laughs> a little bit, not, not our explanation, but our, like the fact that it's a core web vital. It is not. Um, Okay, God, I, there was like ten asides before I even got to the point. The there's all this stuff like make your files smaller and use less JavaScript and make, defer loading of things and all this. There's there's a, just a million things to think of. It's a job in itself. Mercifully, we don't generally think about like how performant is this piece of CSS. Like, in fact, it almost became the. The mantra, like, don't worry about that. Do not let that seep into your brain. Do not worry that a star selector is slow in CSS. Because there's a minute where it's like, yeah, but that selects everything on the page, so that must be slow. And there was a minute where it was. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, right. That's why you wrote the – Eric wrote the – what was that called? The the reset. The reset. reset. Yeah, which didn't use star. Because you can't – right, instead. So he's like – Here's all the possible rules. Okay, I've normalized everything at the time because mm-hmm. right because yeah. if you just hit star, the browser yeah. would still be trying to render now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But yeah, and but that kind of quickly went away, like like you were saying, Chris. And then it it there was all we had to have that sort of reverse education campaign, right? It was like the don't use star. Yeah. It's it's too right. slow. And then okay, remember what we said? Don't use star. It's too slow. It's not too slow anymore. You're fine. Go ahead. Use it. <laughs> right. Right, right. And it stayed that way for a long time, but now has threatens it almost a little. But it, that's or like does the it. period the period in web standards when people thought it was bad to use tables, even as tables. Because mm. we've done such a good job of, of telling them table tables layout's bad. Use CSS. Yeah. That they thought like no, no tab cables are fine for tabular data, but everyone was sort of like, look, I made this CSS and it's all divs. It all got corrected. Tabs are for tabular data is almost a t-shirt now. Okay, so I would not say that has threatens all that because here's the deal. Browser engines will not accept something that threatens their rendering performance. If if they accept something into into the engine, basically what that means is they are confident that in, you know, 99% of cases it will not threaten their frame rates because browsers are are just like anything else on a computer. They have to maintain their frame rates and browsers do their utmost to maintain 60 frames a second or more, which is like the standard for a first-person shooter. <laughs> what did you call it? The 60 FPS? First-person scroller. scroller yeah. First-person scroller. Yeah. Basically. and But that, I mean... It's, it sounds like some kind of, oh, I'm going to take two unrelated things and put them together and it'll be funny. No, they're not unrelated. That's the thing. Browsers literally are supposed to render at 60 frames a second or more. And if you, if we, if anybody, you know, tries to land a patch that will drop the, the, the common performance below that threshold, they won't take it. Like, they just won't merge it into the code base. It won't ship. So... Has does not certainly with CSS, right? But there's all kinds of JavaScript crap like the add event listener scroll, you know. Sure, I mean, yes, and like I say, you know, I'm sure there are ways that you can use has like abuse has to make a browser <laughs> be slower. In fact, I, I, I saw one recently. Well, that, that thing I was talking about with the uh, that Auntie did where you hover and it creates these patterns using a bunch of hases quite a bit slower in Chrome. Okay, but that's not going to stop them because that that's very clearly a, a stress test. It's not something that someone's going to do for a design. Um, has, yeah, it doesn't really have a, a design need. So, um, and it also shows them, well, here's, here's a place where we could look at how to make this better, right? So I'm not, I'm not concerned about that again because if the Chromium a team put the, a patch for has basically puts this code through whatever their tests are and it 
bring it drags the browser down too down too far they just they won't ship it and apple has already shown with safari that you could do this and not bring the browser down so i'm pretty sure it's going to happen same thing with container queries and and it's um, actually a really nice example of browser diversity being good because not if apple did it they can drive that jealousy of chrome be like oh they did crap i guess we better get on it and figure it out. Whereas if there's yeah. only one browser, there'd be no motivation. They'd just be like, nope, it's too slow. There's no other team that there's no... And to a certain extent, that 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 dynamic is what caused Apple to ship Has first because Agalia had been working on Has in Chrome and I've been going through this process and was, was you know, on this path of getting to intent to ship and Apple managed to drop first and, and claim the bragging rights, which more power to them, you know? I mean, if they, if they that's what if they can do. Then that's what they do, and same thing. It looks like this kind of the same thing with container queries. Igalia is not, I don't believe, working on container queries, but uh, Chrome is, right? The Chromium team is, and uh, it looks like the WebKit team did something similar. They're like, mm, we could probably get something in there ahead of them. Well, why don't we do that? So people yeah, love an honest fight. This is this is why I love browser diversity, and I wish we had more of it for for that very reason. Fantastic. Right after we booked you two, Dave, you pointed this out at eventapart.com slash news. There is a looking ahead insights from Jeffrey Zeldman and Eric Meyer, where you both kind of wrote up where you thought was going. Did you want to touch on any of that? I like Jeffrey's like, let's make humanism, democracy, and inclusion the real Web 3.0. Pretty well, That's a classic. Thank you. There you go. Good writing ending. Yeah. <laughs> And I wrote about cascade layers because I'm always I'm the Spock to his Kirk, <laughs> as we've said for years. Right. Yep. I'm always I'm always in the technical weeds, and he's like again because I'm lazy. Like, <laughs> hey, now. Like, no, no, because I'm like, how can we simplify this so I can do less? When we, you know, when we talk about widows and orphans, like, mm. I can remember a period of like telling my clients, "No, you can't do that in a browser," and enjoying that. Like they'd go, "Like, I want, <laughs> like." Anal subatomic control. I want to the mic to the net to the micropixel absolute control in every browser on any. And I just go, yeah, can't do it. You'd love PDFs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's called a book. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Books are still cool, but might yeah, yeah. might not get as love much them. attention. On the right. web, so. It's right. weird because uh, one of the things that drove design, web design aesthetics 10 years was book aesthetics, maybe yeah. in the last 15 years, right? People were like, yeah, we should really control our margins. And like a lot of CSS was driven and improvements were driven by, I mean, it goes back to people like Dean Allen back in the day, just, just going mm. like, yeah, Pour one out. you know, and yeah. Yeah. Dean Allen. Rest in peace. But rest in peace. Yeah, that I mean, they say every new medium apes the medium it's it's built on that's or replacing, right. and that's I mean, yeah, that's where a lot of that came from. Art directors who were used flash. to we're gonna yeah. paste, we're gonna do up, a, we're gonna paste it up on a board, and then when it gets printed in the newspaper, it's gonna look exactly like that or whatever, right? And if we once we shot the video. Right. It goes on everybody's four by three TV screen and maybe some people will be in black and white, but we just accept that that's the case. And like everybody gets it in color and it, it's in the same aspect ratio. And and yeah, at first and, and for a long time, yeah, the, the attempt to recreate that on the Web. It, I, yeah. John Alsop in but 2000 it, told, told us that we were wrong on, on a list of part. Right. And, don't. Yeah. He was like, don't. Right. It's it's a new don't. medium. Treat it as I such. I took that to and, heart. I took that to heart. Like, yeah, don't. Yeah, don't not nearly enough people did, though. That was the that was the problem. But the people that stubbornly said no, I want that, ended up driving a lot of innovation that we enjoy now. That's true. Right? We needed yeah. people like like John saying no, that's silly, don't do that. It's a new medium, and we also needed people like like Jason Santa Maria going, I want this to look as good as this book, and as a result, finding ways to do it. So that's true. That's true. It's funny. You got to learn the same lessons over and over. Like I have a, a 
truck and I plug my phone into it and Apple uh, CarPlay comes up. Looks great, right? That's how I get around. I have my maps on there. I rented a van the other weekend and it has a long display over the radius. Really, really wide thing. It's like a Mercedes. That's how they, they roll. And I plug my phone into that and it just has big giant black bars on the side because CarPlay just has a rectangle that it ships in. And then it was cool to see their release at WWDC. It like well, now it it's aware of that the fact that cars have different size displays in them and it rearranges itself to fit in there. You're like, welcome to 20 years ago. We've taken pity on the Mercedes truck owner. The poor Mercedes truck owner. <laughs> no, display. With his latte in his cup holder, that poor devil. It's responsive. That's the, that's the humanism you're you're talking about. Yeah, that's true. It's, that's yeah. true. It's responsive dashboard design is what it is basically. There are no edge cases. I'd be I'd be fascinated to know how they are managing that. Like, are they using effectively like media queries? Like, what are they doing? Has I, I would has. I would really like to know. <laughs> Can I also expense a new Mercedes uh, as a testing device? Absolutely. <laughs> I like the way you think. I like the cut of your jib, well, I mean, sir. there's already precedent for it, right? Because there's already iPhones with pretty different screen sizes, and they have different number of rows of things. It's whatever technology they employ for that. Theoretically. Yeah. Probably not CSS. Well, I was going to ask you if there's if if Cascade Layers makes anything simpler, but it probably does. <laughs> yes, it does. It doesn't appear uh, to on the surface. Yeah, I I mean, I I don't want to get into a huge thing, but I actually I had an interesting thought the other day in, in a short little Twitter conversation, very short Twitter conversation, um, with Jeremy Keith. Um, if you go back to the original CSS proposal. Not the specification, but like the cascading HTML style sheets document that was written by Hokum Lee like in 1994. The syntax is very different. I'm just going to say it doesn't, it looks more like JavaScript than it does. And this is pre JavaScript. So it's not, he wasn't like copying JavaScript. It's just, um, but it looks kind of like JavaScript. It was like h1.font.size equals 12 point is what the syntax looked like. But and this is where this is going, you could also assign an influence weight to every rule. So you could say <laughs> h1.font.size equals 12 point or 24 point 30%. And then somewhere else in the style sheet, it would say something like h1.font.size equals 36.60%. Mm, okay. Thanks, I hate it. Well, but think about it. <laughs> there's, there's a couple ways to resolve yeah. that. One is to like do complicated math to be like, okay, well, if we take 36 point at 60% and we take 24 point at 30%, we end up at like 25.7 <gasps> point or something. That would be possible. Or you could just say, well, this one's higher than this one. So this one, like the 60% wins over this 30%, right? That would be the much simpler way to do it and probably how it would have ended up if that had come through. But cascade layers sliding you... sliding f's scale. How many f's do you give about well, this rule being applied? Yes, oh. and, and in Rob fact, Watkins for CSS. In fact, at the end of that proposal, he should in ASCII art. There's like a there's a slider. There's there's like ASCII art sliders for various things. Um, the idea being that like you can take this rule, you can you can shift whatever. Anyway. But cascade layers, that, this is the point, kind of lets you do that. You don't get to assign them percentage weights, but you get to say what order they come in. So like this rule for H1s sits in this layer, right? This font sizing rule for H1s sits in this layer. And if there's a layer that has more precedent, then that rule for H1 font sizing will win over the one in the lower layer, even if they have different specificities. So the cascade layers become like we've we've always worked with cascade layers there were two there was important and there was everything else those were the original cascade layers important and default right this is just letting you set up more cascade layers between those two and if a rule let's say in the in the uh page cascade layer tries to set something and there's a rule for the a design system cascade layer 
no matter what the specificity of the rules is, no matter how many selector classes, IDs, doesn't matter, the one in that page layer, if it's higher than the design system layer, will win yeah, out. Yeah, will win. Yeah. Yeah. So, the whole beast, the whole, the whole selector becomes irrelevant. Doesn't that scare you to teach CSS? You're like, used to be like, IDs are strong. And now it's going to be like, IDs are strong in the layer that in they're in. In their layer and compared to every layer underneath them. Yeah, it, it will complicate things. But at the same time... It lets you do a thing like, here's the style sheet for the design system. We're going to import it. And on the import, we're going to say what layer it's in. It's in the design system layer, the atomic layer, whatever layer, whatever you decide to call the layer. You can call it Steve, whatever. Um, but then on the page, you can say, okay, everything on the page is in this layer. And so you can very selectively override you know, things about the design system. It's like uh, the, the, the page title on this page needs to be maroon instead of navy. It's Navy in our design system, but on this page it needs and to be maroon. And crucially, I don't give a crap about the selector. I don't exactly. want to overthink I don't, the I don't have to go into the design system and be like, okay, what's the specificity of this selector? I or could just select. say H1s are maroon, and it would just win against Boom. everything else. Done. Yep. That's swack. Yep. <laughs> it's, 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 a very, it's a new way of thinking about it, and that, but it, it takes from... Design systems, because one of the design system, one of the design principles of design systems or good design systems is they should be easily overridable. Hierarchical action. Yeah. It should be easy to well, override. Somebody smart thought about it. It seemed to happen awfully fast, you know. You used to have this, you know, Dave's got this slow like brisket concept that's like sometimes <laughs> sometimes slow is is good on purpose, you know? Yeah. And the fact if we get too fast, if we get too fast with web standards, it'll be like, did we super think about that all the way? Well, <laughs> cascade layers have been thought about for a super long time. Yeah, cascade layers have been thought about for yeah, yeah, I get possibly it. twenty years now. <laughs> I'm not not one hundred percent sure, but the implementation did happen very quickly. Like you can use cascade layers right now, uh, um, in in pretty much every browser, um, and have them work. Um, we're just not like the thing you have to watch out for is because of the way the syntax works. Anything in a cascade layer block will get ignored by older, like completely ignored by old browsers. So we're, we're right now in that transition phase that we used to be with media queries, where it was like, well, you got to be real careful with your media queries because older browsers will literally not see anything in your media queries, right? So anything that you need all users to see can't go in there. We're in that same kind of space with cascade layers right now. But um, yeah, it, it will make okay, a lot well. of things simpler. And, and, and I think... One of the reasons that it dropped so fast in so many browsers is that browsers were already maintaining layers, right? They had important and default. All they really had to do was figure out how to slot user or author defined layers into that hierarchy. And, and uh, apparently it wasn't that difficult. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't trivial, but it apparently wasn't that difficult because it was like, it was almost like grid all over again. It like shipped in every browser in the space of a couple of months. It was amazing. So, yeah, once once the spec was agreed upon and and basically minted, everyone was like, "Boom, done!" Wow, cool. Well, let's 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 wrap it up, Dave. Yeah, we can wrap it up. Uh, thank you all both for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, we are looking forward to an event apart, uh, Denver. So that should be exciting. Um, but uh, for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? We'll start with Jeffrey. Uh, don't don't have to give me money, but um, you can find me at zeldman.com. You can always I'm always putting out a list apart very slowly like it's like the opposite of css tricks like like they're both wonderful and like css tricks is like if you miss even like two hours you probably miss something really cool and a list of parts like come back in a month we're slowly <laughs> digesting this meal no i guess that's a bad <laughs> metaphor don't if we're, no that's a really bad metaphor forget that but slow we're it's slow and i'm uh i'm at zeldman on twitter uh, and that ought to do it. I'm, and I'm kind of the same. Uh, you don't have to send me money. Jeff, Jeffrey and I have been doing this long enough uh, that we both came from the ethos of you give back and also have been fortunate enough to be successful enough that we kind of, we never got around to the like pay us money thing. But uh, you can find me at MeyerWeb.com and 
on Twitter and GitHub and various other things, my username is almost always MeyerWeb. And if it isn't, then I probably don't use that network. So don't worry about it. And if you have an Oculus, pick up all uh, Eric's new browser, Wolvik. Yeah, it's not mine. Enter the metaverse. That's a well, is. I just I just write about it. Nuance there. But. Okay, yes, nuance. <laughs> just a just a tiny little. It's an obscure point, but it's a collective, isn't it? I, mean, okay. I will admit, I I have landed a patch in Wolvik. Uh, I I, hey. I fixed I fixed a a, a a grammar error in one of the preferences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my patch. <laughs> yes, I've I've contributed to uh, WordPress in much the same way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you all so much uh, for yeah. coming on the show. Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter uh, at Shop Talk Show for sixteen tweets a month. We have a YouTube.com slash Shop Talk Show and join us in the Discord Patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show. Chris, you got anything else you have to say? Yeah, next time we'll uh, we'll explain to you kids what Eudora is. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, shoptalkshow.com. Woo-dee!